City Light. Uh, my name is Mo. I serve as one of the pastors here. So if today's your first day, you've never been here, man, I want to say welcome. I'm glad you're here. Uh, thanks for worshiping with us. Uh, I just want to kind of fill you in. We've been uh, walking through the book of Ephesians for the last two weeks. And so if you weren't here for those first two, man, I, I'd encourage you, go back and listen to those sermons. They are incredible, especially last week. What Austin did was amazing. Uh, they're on our podcast, but also on uh, our website and our, our app if you want to listen to those. Uh, but in the meantime, for today, I'd like to invite all of you in the room, if you have a Bible, whether digital or otherwise, open it up to Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll be uh, there this morning. Uh, so as we heard from Austin last week, uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, is basically one long run-on sentence. Uh, and, and so that basically means that like the whole sentence is one theme and message to us. And, and I think that to summarize that message, it would be the blessings of being identified in Christ. The blessings of being identified in Christ. And so last week, uh, when Austin spoke, he, he, we saw that we are chosen by the Father and redeemed by the Son. And so today we're going to actually see that third and final blessing in this beautiful run-on sentence. Uh, now, a lot of you probably don't know this about me, but my actual primary name, like my, the official full name that was given to me at birth is Mozart Darnell Dixon Jr., okay? Uh, and, and so if you, if you caught that, Jr. implies the fact that I share a name with my dad, uh, which means I'm a part of his lineage. Uh, I have a heritage that goes uh, through the name Dixon. Uh, with, with a lineage, there's always, uh, there's always an inheritance of some sort, so that's basically something that's passed down from generation to generation, and a lot of times when you think of it, it's like money, essentially, or wealth, um, and so basically the more you have, the, the more gets passed down. Now, my background doesn't include wealth, so um, if you look at our history, there's not a whole lot of finances to be passed down. Um, and so when, and when, growing up, I didn't live in a home where when I turned 16, mom was like, here's a car, you can have it. Um, and there was no time when I, when I graduated high school to go to college, she wasn't like, here's a check to pay for school either. So, and it's not a dig on my parents, like my mom worked her tail off, like she provided for us and, and she provided in such a way that like I'm a first generation college graduate. Praise God that my mom worked hard enough that that would actually happen. Yeah, amen, right? Um, and, and so that's, it's not a dig on my family, but we just, we don't have a rich heritage when it comes to finances, and so my inheritance from the Dixon name isn't going to be wealth and, 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 and financial or material uh, blessing in that way. But there, there are some, though. I, I did inherit some things from my mom that I would say are precious to me, probably more precious than wealth would be. I, I know how to survive. Um, I know how to persevere. I, I have strength because of the way my mom raised us, and, and so I have a rich inheritance in that way. And then I have this other thing that I have inherited, probably not from my mom if I know her well enough, but uh, something I just kind of picked up along the way. I affectionately call it poor kid syndrome, okay, uh, or PKS, okay, poor kid syndrome. And, and the way that uh, kind of plays out for me is it has its own set of code of ethics. So for one thing is if it's free, it's for me. Like I just, I live by that. If it's free, it's for me. It's mine. Um, the other part is um, if you don't ask for it, you won't get it. And so therefore, I ask for everything. Um, in fact, even if it's a social setting where it's probably not acceptable to ask, I'm probably going to ask anyway. And, and, and so it's just the way I am. Uh, and my favorite part of that whole thing is that ever since I've been running with Austin, it kind of embarrasses him a little bit because, like, you get this awkward tension of, like, you can't ask for that. Like, no, you can't have the last piece of cake in the refrigerator. But I ask anyway, and I get it because people have this thing. <laughs> They have this thing that they can't tell you no to your face, and so therefore they give it to me. Um, I'm just living out scripture, okay? It says, if you, 
You have not because you ask not. It's in the Bible. I'm living that out, <laughs> passing that on to you. But it, there's, there's one more code of ethics is that I don't pay more, more than I have to for anything. I always look for the deal. I'll research, make sure I get it uh, for just the right price. Uh, and some might call that cheap. I just call that a good steward. Uh, with that said, uh, those characteristics are things that are brought from my previous life, right? So, so it, uh, since I've been in Christ, I've been given a different set of characteristics, but um, I identify with Christ, but I still have some of those things that would be around, and I think all of us have that, right? Like, we have this, this life in Christ, but yet we still bring along with us, whether they be traits from our parents or characteristics that we've inherited from just experience or, or something like that. And so we've all been born into this world and grown up in a fallen world. So we've learned how the ways of this world, right? And so we kind of bring that into our relationship with Christ. However, when we become a Christian, here's what's different about us. We're given a new nature. We're given a new identity and a new life. We, we've, we've died to that old world and, and been born again into this new life. So we're, we're no longer who we once were. However, even as followers of Jesus, most of us know we get a little confused about our identity, right? As we continue to walk with Jesus, we get confused about our identity because we don't always function or operate in who we really are. Like what we believe doesn't always match how we behave. We act like our old self and we get kind of caught in this rut uh, of reliving some of that old life in the new one. Now, this, this isn't always a sinful thing. It, it actually sometimes just kind of uh, for some of us, it might not be a sinful pattern. In fact, it might just be that you're not living out the potential that Christ has for you. And so we're missing out. Now, we believe that, that um, we believe and try to do the right things, right? But, but we fall short of those things all the time. Every single day, we're like, man, I want to I do right by Christ. I want to honor God's name with my life. But then we fail and we get frustrated and we get discouraged and we fall right back into the, the cycle. And I, I think it's because we, we don't continue to remember who we are. Uh, in Ephesians 1, it, it helps us to see who we truly are as followers of Christ, helps us identify with him. And, and the more we identify with Christ, well, the more we'll be like Christ. You see, the Bible spends a lot of time explaining who we are so that what we believe, what we know to be true about who we are might be more of a reality in our life. Amen. And so my primary identification as, uh, is not anymore Mozart Darnell Dixon Jr. No, actually, I'm a new creation freed from the bondage of sin. So my new primary name is adopted son of the everlasting father. And that's your title, too. That's who you are. If you are in Christ, you are an adopted son or daughter of the everlasting father. And so we've been born into this new and beautiful family. And with that comes a rich, bountiful inheritance. And so that's what we're going to look at. But let's let's start by identifying what that inheritance is and, and, and where it comes from. And so let's look at verse 11. Verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so I, I first want us to see that our inheritance comes from the Father, our Heavenly Father. Uh, so God, the Father, predetermined that you and I would be adopted into his family. In order for us to, to understand that, though, what does adoption really mean when it, it's in the Bible? Because I think we have a different view of it. And, and so many times when you come in the Bible, what you want to find out is what did it mean to them then? Okay, and so to, to know what's going on in, in the book of Ephesians or th this letter that Paul wrote, well, it took place in the Roman Empire. And during the Roman Empire, if you were a biological son or an adopted son, you actually were considered by law equal. 
meaning you're on the same playing field. So when the inheritance comes, you both get an equal share. Isn't that beautiful? That an adopted child would be considered the same as a biological child. So anytime you see adoption in the scriptures, that's what you should be thinking is that I am on the equal playing field. I am a son of the living God and I will obtain an inheritance that's from my father. You see, we're not naturally God's children. Like, we're not born that way, actually. Uh, we, we're all created by God. We bear his image, yes, but we're not all naturally his children. In fact, Scripture would say the contrary to that, that we don't belong to him by nature. It says that we're children of disobedience. Uh, we were dead, or we were rebellious or condemned, and, and we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And in Ephesians 2 even says that we're children of wrath. You see, we're not in a, a good spot apart from Christ. But God, based on his eternal plan, comes through and says, hey, I'm going to send my son to die for you so that you might become my adopted son or daughter and, and inherit the family fortune. You, you being a child of God is not based on what you might do or how much effort you might put into it, but based upon the fact that Jesus, the son of God, died and paid for your adoption. Now, no matter what your story is, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, Jesus paid for your adoption. You have an inheritance that, an inheritance that is to come. You are God's kid, and you will get it. Now, why would he provide this, though? Well, our passage in verse 11 basically says that it's the fulfillment of his plan or his will. It, it was his, his kind intention for you to be his child. You see, sometimes I, I, th I seem to think that we, we look at this faith thing and say, okay, God created man in his image, and then people just messed it all up, and so then God swoops in because he's obligated to change everything by sending his son. You see, that's contrary to God's character for him to be obligated to, to fix our messes. It's contrary to what scripture would even say. You see, God would be justified and righteous to give us the just penalty that we deserve. He would have been perfectly fine to do that. However, by his grace, by his, his, his gracious desire, he would send his son and graciously allow him to die in our place. Like, that, it's a gift for us. The, the, the truth of this act is, is that uh, he adopted sinful man to be a part of his family out of the overflow of his deep pleasure, not out of some obligation. He chose us because he wanted to make us a part of his family. It gives, it gives him glory to take those who are running from him, rebellious, seeking their best life now, taking them and bringing them into his family and said, no, I'm going to be with you forever. You're going to be my child, and you're going to receive everything that my child would receive. And so just like an earthly parent who the more they get, the more they give to their kids, God says, I have infinitely more than you could ever imagine, and I'm going to give it to you. And so City Light, let God's will, meaning his plan, and your adoption as his child be the comfort in your heart. Let that be the thing that comforts you at any time and place of your life. Let the comfort of God's will being accomplished and the fact that you're an adopted son or daughter of him be the comfort for you. The father has adopted you and is excited to give you his inheritance. He's in anticipation to it. So what is this inheritance exactly? Well, simply put, it's God himself. We get God. And, and I know when, when, you, when it first kind of brushes off, it's like, oh, okay. You know, right? Like, that's essentially what our, our response usually is. Okay, I get God. Great. Uh, and, and John Piper, uh, famous theologian, preacher, you should listen to him. He's good. Um, but anyway, he, he has this famous quote that kind of goes out asking the question about heaven for folks. 
And so I'm going to paraphrase it and, and put my own words to it. But here's essentially what he said. He said, if you enter the gates of heaven and it had its gold roads and it had its mansions, there's no pain, there's no suffering, uh, everything is beautiful and amazing, and there's no cold weather, I'm assuming. Uh, everyone is, is filled with joy. Target doesn't have a line anymore. <laughs> Starbucks is readily available, right? Like, this is a good place. But Jesus wasn't there. Would that be a heaven for you? Would you be okay with a heaven with no Christ, but has all those things? You see, our inheritance isn't just receiving some paradise off in the sky, but our inheritance is to be in an intimate, deep mingling of relationship with the holy God of the universe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit for all of eternity. That's our inheritance. This is so magnificent because God knows that no amount of relief of pain or removal of stress or lack thereof of resistance in this life will compare to an eternity being face-to-face with our Father. That our inheritance is our creator being with him. You see, what most of our, what all of our hearts long for is this relationship, this intimate relationship that's gone on forever with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we want to be a part of that, and no possession, position, passion uh, could ever, or person could ever fill that desire. Only Jesus can. That's what we want. That's what we long for. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about an inheritance, I usually think of trust fund kids. Like, they're usually, they're usually like these entitled, reckless people. Uh, and and it, it's crazy to me because I'm like, wait a minute, you've been given all this stuff, not by your own volition, you didn't earn it, and yet you're entitled. Like, what? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense to me, but I think entitlement is produced because you don't know why you got the inheritance or what it took to get it. And so let's look and see what it took to get our inheritance. In verse 12 through 13. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. You see, Paul is showing us that our inheritance is obtained through the son Jesus. Our inheritance is obtained through the son. Now, if you were to ask my wife, she will readily and probably passionately say that I'm terrible at grammar. Just terrible. I'm awful. Um, But I would also point to her that... Paul right here just wrote a run-on sentence, and everybody's okay with that. So anyway, for the moment, let's pretend like I am good at grammar, okay? Just for a moment, and let's look at our passage and notice what Paul has to say. He says these three things that stand out to me. He says, so that. Anytime you see so that in the scripture, it's a purpose statement. Get ready. He's got a purpose to tell you. And then he says these, he separates people. He says, you and we, or we and you in this passage. So you have to ask the question, who's the you and who's the we in this text? So let's start backwards. Let's work with the you. Who's the you? Well, the you is the people that he's writing to, right? And so as we established in the first sermon, in our first sermon in this series, these are Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish believers in the area of Ephesus and the surrounding, right? So that's, that's the you. When he says you also, he's saying you Gentile, non-Jewish believers. And then he says we. Well, who's the we? Well, he, he gives us a phrase to kind of cue us in on that. It says, who were the first to hope in Christ? Well, who were the first people to hope in Christ? Well, Jewish people, right? So, so I mean, Mar- Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you look in the Gospels and even the first parts of Acts, the first people to hope in Christ were Jewish people. And so the disciples were Jews, and believe it or not, Jesus was a Jew. 
Contrary to the popular art pieces that you've seen around, Jesus was a Jewish man. His hair was probably not flowing with chemicals in it to make it look nice. He probably had some naps in that. I'm just letting you know, okay? His skin complexion was not pale, but most likely darker complected. He was a Middle Eastern man and not a Norwegian. I just want to clarify that just in case you were confused about what Jesus might look like. Anyway... So what Paul is making the point of here is that the adopted family of God is a multi-ethnic, multi-socioeconomic, and multi-culture family. There is no one-size-fits-all. It's a multiplicity of kinds of people in the kingdom of God. And why would God forge such an eclectic and very, very different family? Why would he do that? Because there's nothing like it in the entire world. There's no organizations or groups to belong to that look like this group of people, he did that to show the awesome love that he has, to show that no one has a leg up on knowing who Jesus is. No one can be more intellectual or have the right culture or racial background. No one can have enough money to know Jesus. Everyone's on equal footing when it comes to knowing Jesus. And also, this diverse family displays his glory. It displays his glory, meaning that we, the church, the body of Christ, can show people right here, right now, what the kingdom of God will look like. We get to show people a glimpse of what heaven looks like, every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's beautiful, it's miraculous, and and it's to the praise of his glorious grace. God went through great lengths for us to, to be a part of his family and receive him as our inheritance. He is ours. He sent his only son to die in our place so that we can be presented holy and blameless before him. You see, apart from Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, we couldn't be with God. We couldn't have him as our inheritance because a holy God cannot be in the same place as a sinful man. It doesn't work that way. In fact, he'll destroy that man in a heartbeat because of his holiness. And so what God did out of his mercy, out of his grace, is that he sent his son, who is holy, to die in the place of us, sinful man, so that we can be presented to him as holy. You see that he gave up what is precious to him so that he might become precious to us. Not because he was lonely, not because he needed us, but because he wanted us. He longs for us. How incredible is that? The the God of the universe, the maker of all things, the God who created you and breathed life into you and, 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 and is shaping and molding you says, I choose you, I want you in my family. He wants us to possess him, to be, to have his rich inheritance that he's prepared for us. It's a wonderful grace that isn't a part of our entitlement. Like, we can't be entitled to this grace, but it's graciously given to us. You see, the gospel just destroys any kind of entitlement that we might have over this life. It destroys it so that we can, we can be open-handed with what we have, right? Like, whether or not it be graciously and sacrificially giving to the kingdom work, right? So, so I just filed my taxes, which was a really fun experience uh, this last uh, week. Uh, but, but a part of that, like, I look forward to, this, there's this one line in there in the whole scheme of all the paperwork that they have us do. There's one line that says charitable giving on it. And every single year, I praise Jesus that he's provided enough for me and my family so much so that he's provided the opportunity for us to sacrificially give of what we have. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful gift that God allows me. My father, who's given me finances, has allowed me to graciously be able to sacrifice a percentage of my finances so that his kingdom can continue to move forward. Like, it's just a gracious gift that he's given me. Not only that, 
because of the beautiful inheritance that we have that's coming and, and how generous and, and, and amazing it is, we can keep an open hand to our time and our possessions as well. You see, every single week, there, there, there are people who open up their homes and allow your children to come spill Kool-Aid on their carpet, okay? Like, it's a gracious thing because they're saying, hey, my Heavenly Father, the inheritance that I'm going to have is far greater than any carpet, any house, any car that I could ever possess. In fact, this, this last weekend, uh, there were women who graciously opened up their homes for the IF gathering so that our women can be discipled and mentored and, and poured into from the word. And so, man, if you were one of those ladies, thank you. Thank you so much for opening up your home because it was a gracious gift to our, our church. It was a gracious gift to our family for them to be discipled. And I know why you did it because you don't see this life as being the primary, but the, our inheritance that's to come. So thank you. And so we're able to be open-handed about every single aspect of our life because we know we have a precious inheritance in front of us. And verse 13 says, we receive this based on hearing the message and believing it, trusting it, placing our faith in it. It's a simple thing. Simple is just, just trust, not in our performance for God, but in his performance on our behalf, right? Like, it's the trust not in our, our pursuit of God, but in his pursuit of us through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son. If we believe in that, we not only get our forgiveness for sin, but we also get our glorious inheritance of being with the Father. And so how, how can we be sure of it, though? How can we, we, we trust that that's actually going to happen? Because there are inheritances in this world that you can lose, right? And so let's look at the remainder of our section, uh, 13b through 14. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. And so in the last section, we see that our inheritance is secured by the Holy Spirit. We can be sure of our inheritance because God sent his spirit to indwell the believer, the person who trusts in Christ. So, so considering our verses from last week, what we see is that the Father has a plan of our salvation, right? He plans our salvation out. And then the Son, Jesus, pays for our salvation. And now in our text, we get to see that the spirit protects or preserves our salvation, and so when you see that word, uh, he used the word sealed in here. When Paul says sealed, what he's referring to is the seal of a king. So if a king were to send a document or a letter out, what he would do is put his seal on it. And what that means to the person who receives it is that that letter, that document carries the power, the authority, uh, the approval of that king. And so what, what Paul is saying here is that, man, this is an official document. This is an official thing that I'm putting on you. I'm giving you my spirit because I, that is the seal of the king. He's saying you have the power, the authority, the approval of the king if you have my Holy Spirit. He's pledging a promise to us that we will reap an inheritance, a beautiful inheritance. It's, the, the language used here is more like a, a down payment or an engagement ring saying, hey, I'm going to give you a little bit of my presence now, but you will have my presence fully in the future when we consummate this thing, when, when it's beautiful, when you meet me face to face. You see, he claims us as his prized possession. And, and, it, and as God possesses something, there's no one, and I mean no one, that can take something that belongs to God, even you. So, so when you look at this text, I can't fathom how you can look at this scripture here and say you can lose your salvation. I can't fathom it because that means you must be looking at this salvation thing as just an intellectual exercise of choosing God over hell, right? Like that, that's, that's, that's what I see it as and not as this thing where God enters into someone's life and changes the sinful heart of man. It's a miraculous, supernatural act of God and not just some intellectual exercise. You see, if verse 4 is true, 
then this was a part of God's plan from before creation even started. This was a part of his plan to choose you by name because he loves you, to set you apart as an adopted son or daughter of God. Romans 8.16 says this about the Spirit. He says the Spirit bears witness to ours that we are children of God. You see, he predetermined that you and I would be a part of his family and have the family fortune. He determined that we would have grace lavished upon us. And he, he's so committed to it, so into it, so desirous of that, that he sent his Spirit to say, hey, I promise. I promise that you will receive this inheritance. It will be yours. I own you, my stamp of approval. Isn't that beautiful? I have to confess, though, I don't honestly always see it that way. Uh, in fact, as I was working on this message this week, I struggled. And I, I got it done yesterday at noon, okay? Uh, usually it's done by, th- by uh, 5 on Thursday. And I wrestle with it because I'm not sure I fully believe it. And, and what I mean by that, yes, I, I believe and trust that, yes, it is true, but how much of this message, how much of this inheritance do I believe enough for it to affect now? How much does this truth affect today is the question. Can you relate to that? I mean, we can say yes and amen to the reality. Yes, I know that I will be with the Father once all of this is said and done. But what about now? What does that mean for me in the meantime between now and meeting my God? What does it look like to live with this inheritance, this gift that we don't quite have fully, but we will eventually? See, we know that we're going to see him face to face with the Lord. We, we know that it's going to be wonderful, and we know there's going to be no pain and no suffering. But most of us live in a fear of pain, trying to avoid pain or, or trying to avoid disappointment in this life. We live, live in this constant cycle of anxiety. And what we want is we want our easiest life now and to get the next one, too. We want to tack that on at the end of it. We're still seeking mud pies because we can't fathom that eternity in relationship with the Heavenly Father is much more valuable than any inheritance that we can obtain here. We either waste our inheritance or try to work our way to maintain it. But both are exhausting, unfulfilling, unsatisfying. The application of this text is not be a good person so that you can get an inheritance. That's the last thing that God would say in this. So as as I wrestle with Jesus, here's, here's the thing that he gave me. He didn't speak audibly, just to clarify, but he did give this to me, okay? I'm not in it for heaven, but because I've been given Jesus and will be given more of him. So let me me say that again. I'm not in this, this Christian thing, I'm not in it to, to obtain heaven. I've been given Jesus as a free gift and will be given more of him. That's what we're in it for. Eternal life is not a, a pie in the sky by and by. No, it's, it's a never-ending love relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The one who's, who's made us, redeemed us, and is transforming us into the likeness of his Son. And so if you're like me and you feel like, man, I've spent a lot of my life wasting my inheritance. Well, guess what? There's good news. There's a lot to go around. There's an everlasting, eternal inheritance that, that he has gifted to us. And so we don't strive to be good people, but we strive to experience more of our inheritance, more of Jesus in this life. And the Spirit, man, he's there to say, you are a child of God. That's who you are. You're not that old person. That person's dead. The new person is a child of God. It gave God a great pleasure to crush his son, as Scripture says, so that you and I can be a part of his adopted family. It gave him great pleasure to do so. And so this is not our home. The kingdom of God is our home. 
Don't get comfortable here. There, there are things in this life that, that are pleasurable and are good. They're good things, but they all can be lost. We lose money, homes break down, cars break down as well. But we have an inheritance that will never, ever, ever fade, and that's Jesus. And none of those things in the world are anywhere close to as satisfying as he is in having a relationship with him. Listen, if you're the poorest Christian in the world, you have no more or no less in heaven than the richest Christian in the world, okay? Our inheritance is eternal. That's what we have. We get God. And one more, if you're the poorest Christian in the world, which I'm not assuming anyone in this room is, however, let's just say you're poor, you have far more abundantly than any other wealthy person that's ever walked the face of the earth who doesn't know Jesus. Because we get God. We get Jesus. So if you don't know Jesus, you can be adopted into his family. You can know Jesus if you place your faith, trust that Jesus did did in fact die for your sins and take your punishment and raise from the grave. That he paid the price for your sins. It, it, it's simple. It's a, a simple message. All you have to do is receive that free gift. Remember I said earlier I have this poor kid syndrome, and so this is a great, great message for me. Um, if it's free, it's for me. Well, this gift is free, okay? So, just, I mean, and, and I also said, man, if you don't ask for it, then you won't get it. Well, that's what Jesus is calling you to right now. Ask for it. He said, I want to give it to you. I want to give you the abundance. Ask for it. And then finally, I said, man, I don't pay more for anything than I have to. Well, guess what? This one, this particular thing has already been paid for. Jesus paid it all for you. Just take it. And as we wait for our inheritance in this life, we can, we can be confident that it will, in fact, come. In fact, our Heavenly Father waits in expectation for that moment to come. And you can visualize it in this way. You can visualize it like a husband standing here waiting for his bride. And when she turns the corner, he lights up because he just can't wait till she, she can be in relationship with him. That's how God thinks about you. That's what he thinks of you right here, right now, the precious inheritance that he has for you. He's waiting the expectation. And so that's what we get to wait for is a God who wants us, who loves us, who pursues us. And then he's given us a, a, a guarantee of that. It says, man, my spirit is going to dwell in you forever. I'm going to give you my spirit. And, he'll, and my spirit will remind you that you are a child of the living God. Amen.